It's Tuesday, August 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Hey, hey. Retail earnings. Earnings Palooza just chugs along. And <laughs> yeah. thank goodness, because it gives us more to talk about. So we're gonna we're gonna get into the apparel, sort of fashion apparel retail in a moment, but let's start with online furniture, and that, of course, means Wayfair. Wayfair taking a little bit of a hit today, stock down around 8%. But, help me understand this, they had a loss for the second quarter, but it was smaller than people were expecting. Their revenue grew nearly 50% from a year ago. This is a stock that's had a great 2017, even with the drop today. I'm not sure why people are selling this stock because Wayfair is doing what Wayfair has done for a while now. Yeah, and they they continue to do what they tell us that they're going to do. And as as you know, I always am a big fan of that. Uh, I mean, the story with Wayfair is pretty simple. I mean, it's a matter of how much slack the market's going to give this company as they continue to grow. I mean, it's a good business. It's not a profitable business yet, and so that's sort of the near term concern there. Um, but I mean, there are signs certainly that at least in the near ter- near term, all of these investments that they're making in the business are working. And so, I, to your question as to why the market might be selling the stock today, I think it's a combination of two things. Number one, it's had a very good year thus far, um, and and whenever you have these businesses that aren't profitable yet, you have to kind of judge their valuation a bit more subjectively, right? I mean, valuation is an art in, in and of itself, anyway. Um, and I think probably the bigger concern is that they are forecasting some modest profitability headwinds in the back half of the year as they continue to to build out this business, particularly on the international front. Uh, but all in all, I mean, the, the metrics are all still pointing in the right direction for these guys. They're doing a good job. The stock is up even with the drop today. Stock is up more than one hundred percent. I think it's around a hundred ten percent gain for twenty seventeen. How are they doing in terms of their spending? Because that has been, at various points over the last couple of years, of years with Wayfair, you could look at their marketing spend, and you could either be pretty happy with how it was going, or you could look at it and almost wince a little bit, like, "Boy, they're spending a lot." <laughs> they are spending a lot, and I mean, if you watch linear TV at all, or you have a Hulu or a Skinny Bundle, I mean, you'll see Wayfair still I see uh, is out there a good bit, and I mean, it needs to be that way for right now. I mean, when you look at the company's margins. I mean, encouraging. I think for the quarter was gross margin held steady from the quarter a year ago at twenty four percent, and that's important because their gross margin includes all of that spending on fulfillment and shipping, which is obviously the major expense for this company is getting that stuff from point A to point B. And sort of the thesis behind this investment, behind the idea at least, is that at some point they're going to pull back on that customer acquisition and marketing spend, and unlock some more profitability in the business as as they grow their footprint, as they grow that distribution network. It seems like it's working. I mean, we talked about all of these metrics pointing in the right direction. Uh, the big metric that we always look at for that I always look at first and foremost is just the percentage of orders from repeat customers, and and all that tells us is that. The more customers they're able to acquire and keep in and retain, that means those customers, you know, they become more profitable over time because they don't have to pay those high acquisition costs of getting new customers. And so a year ago, that number was 57.6%. Uh, this quarter, it was 61.3%. So that number is higher. That's good. That means they have more repeat customers coming back to order more things. Again, it's a matter of how long the market's going to let this thing play out. I mean, if you, if you, 
if we ran into a, a hiccup here with a correction or, or you know, any kind of a recession, I mean, this is the kind of business that would probably feel a pretty good pinch from that because of the fact that it's still in growth mode, investing so much, not really demonstrating material sustainable profitability yet. I think that's only a matter of time. Uh, again, I mean, the management team keeps on doing what they say they're going to do. Um, and having just moved here a few months ago, I've seen a lot of Wayfair boxes on my front porch, Chris, so <laughs> we're doing our part to keep these guys moving in the right direction. You're welcome, Wayfair shareholders. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to retail. A couple of uh, retailers having really good days. Ralph Lauren, first quarter profit came in higher than expected. Michael Kors, same story, Q1 profit better than expected, and they raised gun. Michael Kors up 20% today. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, hey, listen, I've got four words for you. Global Fashion Luxury Group. Is that something you might be interested in? Go on. Sounds like the <laughs> sounds like Wall Street is interested in it, and I think that's really uh what is going to be key to Coors' success here in the coming years. I think uh we watched this Coors story play out sort of the way we watched the Coach story play out, right? I mean, it was a handbag maker that really sort of saturated the market. The brand lost its its cachet. They started discounting and had to, to start liquidating more and more inventory. Margins got killed. The stock went down the toilet. And uh, what they're doing, I think, going forward, Coach is doing this. We're seeing Coors doing this. They're acquiring other other business uh, businesses to to bring in uh, sort of. Additional dynamics beyond handbags. So the Jimmy Choo's acquisition here is, is uh, the Jimmy Choo acquisition is, is a, a good example of that. Recently, they acquired Jimmy Choo for about 1.2 billion dollars, I think, and that's that's a big shoemaker. And so, really, what they're trying to do is build out this fashion luxury group. And, and the addition of Jimmy Choo is part of that. They also acquired uh, the the exclusive China China licensee for the business for about 500 million dollars not too long ago. And so that really gives them. Uh, tremendous exposure to an up-and-coming uh, Asian market, and, and I think we we talk all the time about uh, the growing middle class there in China and how much they're going to be spending here in the coming years, and how how much they really like big brands like these. And so I think there are reasons, at least for investors, to be optimistic there. Uh, they raised their guidance a decent bit for the quarter and and for the year. I think uh, it, their year was essentially still the same. But the thing is that that doesn't reflect the Jimmy Choo acquisition, and so that actually means that the things were getting a little bit better even before that. Um, so they continue to sort of streamline the business while comps were down. Revenue top line revenue was up. Now that was due to opening stores. Uh, so we. Got to kind of keep an eye on that because they can't just keep opening stores forever. Uh, but all in all, I mean, it wasn't a bad quarter for Coors. Certainly less bad than probably the market was expecting. In the case of Ralph Lauren, we saw something that we have seen previously with Michael Coors, which is less discounting. And yep, I I get that it is a tough needle to thread for all of these companies in terms of at. In terms of at what point do you, at what point and how do you get the inventory off your shelves? In a perfect world, people are buying it, and yeah. that's what's getting it off your shelf. But <laughs> yeah. at some point, if stuff isn't moving, you need to make that decision, and you have to choose very wisely what you're going to do. And in the case of Ralph Lauren, this latest quarter, uh, it paid off for them to just say, you know what? 
yeah, we could discount the hell out of this stuff just to get it moving, but we're not going to do that. And it showed up in the margins. Yeah, and I think you keyed in exactly on what really uh, was, I think, part of the success for this for this quarter for Ralph Lauren is is that they. I mean, look, top line sales fell 13% from a year ago. It's not like they just blew out the numbers here, but they got their inventory levels down significantly, 31% from a year ago. And and they were able to do that with a minimum uh, of discounting and liquidations and whatnot. Because, yeah, you're right. I mean, any, any given day, you could go into a TJ Maxx and you're going to see just a slew of Coach, Coors, Ralph Lauren stuff. And that's that's not good for for those businesses, right? It's great for TJ Maxx, but it's not good for Ralph Lauren because those are basically just liquidations and discounting. And and so when they were able to get that that inventory level down thirty one percent from a year ago, while keeping discounts and liquidations at a minimum, I mean that tells us at least that there is some demand out there for the brand. And Ralph Lauren, I think is is a it's a unique brand. I think it's important that they have uh, Ralph Lauren actually in there still as the chief creative officer. Um, he's able to offer his input on on the fashion side while giving this business over perhaps to uh, folks who are a little bit better schooled on how to really take this business forward in such a challenging environment. So, I mean, I mean, with Ralph Lauren, they have a very strong balance sheet. Uh, balance sheet has more than one point one billion dollars in net cash. Uh, they kept guidance intact, and they're really identifying uh, digital as this big opportunity. They're going to continue to invest in that while pulling back the reins a little bit on their department store. Presence and really for for any retailer in this in this decade and beyond. I mean that's going to be the key, establishing that digital presence and really taking advantage of it. And it seems like they're taking the steps to do that. You can follow our show on Twitter. Our handle is at MarketFoolery. We're actually periscoping today's episode uh, through Jason's feed, but we're retweeted through the MarketFoolery feed. One of the people that I follow on Twitter, and if you're at all interested in investing, you should strongly consider it as well, is Jeff Fisher, our colleague here at The Motley Fool. He's at Fool Jeff Fisher. And Jeff was tweeting this morning about Shake Shack. And they reported last week, and Jeff was sort of tweaking the management there for, and rightly so, uh, for uh, talking about same store sales. Um, not in terms of the most recent quarter, and the same store sales were not good. Same shack sales. Same shack sales. We're going to get to same shack sales in just a second, um, and it's sort of tweaking the management for talking about sort of how they were doing a year ago. And and Jeff's point, and he's absolutely right, is, hey, look, that's that's irrelevant. That's you know, don't tell me about your greatest hits album. You know, I want to hear the new stuff. Just I don't I don't want to hear about how great your sales were a year ago. I want to hear about the most recent quarter a year ago. That's not relevant. And and so I was reading some stuff this morning. Did you know that that same shack sales are are a different metric than same store sales? In in this sense, when we talk about same store sales, whether it's restaurants or retailers, same store sales are. Generally agreed to be, these are sales on locations that have been open for at least a year. Typically, it's thirteen months, but it's yeah. at least a year. Same shack sales, as I just learned this morning, two years. Yeah, it's a different timeline. It's a different they, timeline. Yeah. So they are. I, I, I don't like this. <laughs> well, okay. So I mean, in, in their defense, at least I will say a lot of times you'll see. Uh, these whether it's grocery stores or restaurants, some of them at least will will give you same store sales, and they'll do it over one and two year stacks to kind of give you an idea of of how traffic is looking there. But I mean, to your point, I think that is important to know. Like 
instead of it's not as clear as it could be. And so you look at same shack sales and you think like, oh, that's just some clever branding like the Zestimate or something. Yeah, that's what well, I thought. Well, you know, I mean, you got to be yeah, exactly. You got to understand exactly what they're measuring because if you don't understand what they're measuring, then you might be interpreting that data wrong. And so uh, with with Shake Shack, yeah, I think they they think the same shack sales metric is cleverly branded, uh, but by the same token. It's very good to understand how these businesses are performing on two-year versus one-year timelines because they could be obviously very different. Well, and in the case of Shake Shack, this is not a mature company. They have 134 locations. Only 37 of them have been open yeah. for two years. So when they're throwing out same Shack sales, that is a fraction of their company. It is, and I mean, it's not the biggest presence to begin with. I think they have somewhere in the neighborhood of like 120 stores or something like that. But it's basically split down the middle as far as franchise versus company owned. And I think the big question, at least with Shake Shack, remains how much can they grow this concept? I mean, we we were lucky enough to take that train up to New York City last year, and and. You know, do a little market research. I loved the food; it was great. But you know what? I ate at Five Guys last night, Chris, and it was really just as good. I mean, like I don't know that they really have anything that that truly differentiates themselves beyond like your same shack sales metric. I mean, that's clever, but but that's the thing we talk about with these restaurants. It's there's so many burger places out there, and and we saw a decade ago with Chipotle, for example, making. Such progress and having so much success because they were an innovator in that space and sort of introduced a new concept, a new way of of doing food that was sort of the the you saw the 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 quick serve, not the quick serve, but the uh, you know the fast casual dynamic come out and really uh, now we see all of the imitators and and Shake Shack is one of those imitators along with Five Guys and a million other ones and you just have so many in there now. It becomes very difficult to to really gain any serious sustainable traction there because you have so many options, um, and so when we look at Shake Shack, yeah, that's really difficult to justify it as as an investment because again, I mean, it's not like the performance was all that great. The success on the top line there was due to opening new stores, and at some point you can't do that. And so once they stop opening stores, how are they going to gin up traffic? They only have a modicum of pricing power. I mean, really, not much at all. And that's the thing. To the extent that anyone at that company's management cares, my two cents is: look, <laughs> if you're performing, then you can be as cute as you want with your <laughs> metrics, like say, you know, branding and all that sort of thing. If you look at John Ledger at T-Mobile, when when you are putting numbers through the roof, then you can be as cute as you want to be. But until then, to Jeff's point this morning on Twitter, you can't hide the numbers. No, you can't. The numbers tell the story. And maybe maybe what we need to do next next quarter, Chris, is we need to jump on that earnings call and we need to actually call them out on this and say, listen, guys, just just come back to earth. Just be like everybody else. Same store sales. It's just fine. It makes it easier. Don't try to uh, obfuscate the data, so to speak. Let's just uh, be clear and understand what you're trying to do. Uh, we. Uh, Speaking of our trip up to New York, we're going to be tomorrow, Wednesday, we're going to be at Chatter in Washington, D.C., at the corner of Wisconsin and Jennifer. Doors open at 11.30 if you want to come out. But you just reminded me with your comment about our trip. Later this year, we're expecting an IPO from Bobby Flay, <laughs> from Bobby's Burgers. And I think 
uh, we've got tentative plans to hit a Bobby Flay Burger location for a market full retaping. Probably, you know, I would think either the day of or maybe like the week after that IPO. Yeah, you know, I I really hope our listeners recognize sort of the selfless acts. <laughs> Of of market research because this is for them, right? I mean, we we yes. sort of we're taking the bullet here and, and getting in the car and and putting on the miles and and trying that food. I mean, hey, look, Bobby Flay. That may not be the biggest concept in the world, but he apparently feels pretty good about that uh, Crunch Burger. I mean, I, I think we have to give it at least a test drive. You think our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, the hardest working man in podcast business? You think he wants to go to a burger place and just try their food? No, again, selfless. <laughs> He's selfless. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow at Chatter in Washington, D.C.